Hello, everybody. Jason Van Ness from Georgia. Mike Hassler from uh, Utah. Mike, what are we doing here today, man? Um, honestly, I'm excited for this, for the opportunity that we have to kind of come together and just talk about the trials that we've had throughout work-based learning as we've gotten into it, but then also be able to offer solutions for how we're able to overcome those trials. And the hope is, as we're talking to businesses and to other work-based learning professionals, that we can at least provide some sort of insight that can help them unlock, you know, maybe a barrier that they've had and get over it. Um, yeah. And that's the goal today. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, I think we have a unique qualification. I mean, people have reached out to us from across the country and asked us to handle these different topics for them, whether it's professionals and in industry or other coordinators across the state or country. And, and so again, the idea of, of communicating these things in a public forum what, that had been taking place behind closed doors and private, I mean, we need to get out of that, that practice as professionals. Let's quit having these private siloed conversations and let's share our stuff publicly for anybody who wants to, to use it, consume it and uh, implement it. I mean, that's, that's, so yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm pumped about today's topic. Uh, I'm excited about it. It's, it's, well, it's a particular passion of mine. It's how I've been able to have at least the modicum of success I have at, at my school in my program. Um, so yeah, that, those are my thoughts on the topic. And the unique perspective I think that we both bring um, is you're actually an educator. You have a teacher's license and I don't. I do. Did you, did you yeah. even know that about me? And so, yeah, I would talk, yeah, the, the Mike Hassler rule, right? Isn't that yeah. what you told me? <laughs> so, when they brought me in, they asked me to kind of, you know, build a little pro build a program that can really help students yeah. attach to their careers and, and to their, you know, to their pathways. And so, I had to come in and learn education. I had to learn this. But I had never thought about this. That's interesting. So, I never thought about this. Like, work based learning is a public private partnership. I never thought about our 2152 project actually being. A, a little a, a little sample of what WordPress running is in that you're you're the private sector for profit company background. I'm the public sector, you know, pedagogy train curriculum implementation, you know, all through and through educator. So that's pretty cool, man. I didn't know that. That's yeah. something that uh look, even as as content professionals, we're always learning new things. So the Mike 212, the 2152 project is a microcosm of WordPress learning, which is the topic and platform we're going to be educating on. Absolutely. And so the topic that the wheel chose for us, I mean, I, I can't lie to you. I was excited for a few of the other topics, um, but then when it landed on this one, you jumped for joy. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, this is my passion. This is one of my passions for sure. So, so the topic is uh, work-based learning as a competitive advantage um, for, so one, how do, if you're watching this and you are a work-based learning coordinator uh, or in workforce development, in the, in the secondary level, uh, how do you leverage the, the value of this to an employer? How do you share that this is a competitive advantage, work-based learning to that employer? And if you're an employer, this episode is going to show you why it's a competitive advantage, why it's something that you should implement before your competitors to establish that talent pipeline. So yeah, it's this is how I've, again, built my program to establish whatever success I've been able to have has been built on this premise. You know, when we started, uh, we only had 10 companies that would raise their hand and say, yeah, I'd love to uh, partner with the school district and collect talent yeah. for my company. Yeah. And, uh, you know, my boss felt like uh, Dave Gardner, he felt like uh, the work-based learning program was kind of on life support at the time. And mm -hmm. so the one area that he wanted to focus on in the beginning was jobs and also, um, but in and internships. And what's funny is even though those go together, that was actually causing the problem. And so there's a few things I, a few things I just want to point out. And then I'm actually going to get into a couple of questions with you, if that's okay. Sure. Um, yeah. But 
as, as I met with about 115 employers trying to figure out what we're going to do to fix this, right? Like getting their insights on, on what would it take for them to, to line up and work with our school district. Uh, it really came down to uh, the selections process is broken. And so the first thing I think that your that any program who might be struggling um, or not struggling, uh, the, the one of the key factors that you might want to dive into and start looking at is your selections process. Now, some schools will try and, and, and code uh, internships as, uh, you know, or work release as internships. And they're also trying to, to help students get credit recovery. And that's super nice that they're helping the students and all um, get credit recovery and, and maybe, you know, code this thing funny. So that way the student can, can get out there and work and get credit for it. But here's the thing. Um, does the employer want that student? Does that student have the drive, right? Because the employer, they're the ones who are training these students. They're the ones paying to train these students. And yeah. so we don't, we don't want to get in their way and, and mess up with their bottom line. And so I've realized that if you have a good selections process, and it doesn't mean it has to be a great GPA or like the smartest kid in class, it just means do you have a selections process that, find, that finds the right student, the right fit. Yeah. If yep. you have that, then, then your competitive advantage and the ability to really compete with the labor market and the help is going to go through the roof. Now, if you're struggling, then you also can go back to your selections process, right? But I want to go to you. I want to turn this to you real fast. And, and let see. me add something to that point real quick. So keep that. Uh, so one thing that Georgia does pretty well is we're very clear in our work sending manual, the manual that we give all coordinators, everybody has that in Georgia, is that work-based learning is a selective, not an elective process. So, yes. so think about that. Like a student, any student, we are of a free and appropriate education is what public education is, right? Students can sign up for a PE class or this class or this class. Work-based learning, they have to apply, and I have to go through and vet their attendance, their discipline, their their transcript, and I say yes or no. And so, mm -hmm. if you so that could be the first thing is you're not going to have much of a competitive advantage to offer employers if you're just taking everybody because you've got to have that certain level of vetting to come in, so you know you're giving that employer the top tier talent. And now, if you you can do that one of two ways: when they apply to come into your program, because I don't advocate denying kids the opportunity for any reason. Mm -hmm. So I do let some kids in my program who, who may be rejected from other programs, but then for my top tier employers, my Studio 8s, my Ace Electrics, my Langdale Forest, those people, I have a whole separate level of vetting so that I know I'm giving them the top tier talent that's going to give them the competitive advantage that I pitched to them. So I, I, I was yeah. wanted to say that before I lost my train of thought. I, don't, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I, no, I you're good. But for your point. I, uh, and this, and this is where it all changed for me. And this is how we're able to grow our program to the extent that we have. But, um, I remember talking to my wife and just basically saying to her, I wonder what would happen if instead of us trying to push something down the employer's throats, what if yeah. we just listened to the employers and gave them what they want? Yep. And my wife's like, sounds like it would make sense. And yeah. we went out there and applied it and everyone's like, what, what did you do? And yeah. at the end of the day, we just listened to the employers and yeah. gave them what they wanted. But let's go back to you. Um, when you came into work-based learning from graphics as a teacher, right? You okay. probably had an idea of what work-based learning was, but today's topic is, is selling as a competitive advantage. Do you right. remember the first time that you maybe met with an employer and you all the, and it just fell flat? And how did you overcome that? Um, well, the first time it fell, I mean, it's a unique situation. The first time I met with an employer, it actually didn't fall flat. And it speaks to what you just said. Um, people need to understand, employers in the industry need to understand, like you have to have a vision 
for what you're doing. You can't be reactive. You got to be proactive and, and partnering with a talent at the secondary level through work-based learning, whether it's in Georgia or it's in Utah, um, it takes a level, a certain level of being a visionary because a lot of people aren't doing that, you know, mm-hmm. and, and you and I are here ringing the bell, screaming at the, at the top of our voices, look at our kids. They have the talent, mm-hmm. but a lot of industry hasn't bought into that yet. So kind of what this is, is meant to do. Um, but yeah, I have met with a lot of people. And so, so it wasn't the first meeting, but the first time I met with someone, um, I do specifically mention, and I, and I won't, I don't want to mention that company's name, but a lot of companies had that perspective of, Hey, I need help. I need talent. I need access to talent. Oh, by the way, they've got to be 18 years old. And my, my first response was no, 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 they don't. That, what you've done <laughs> yeah. is you've conflated two, you've conflated two issues. You've conflated yeah. law and legal acceptance with best practice. And I would even go as far as to say it's no longer best practice because what you're doing is when you say we have to have an 18 year old um, and I understand the mentality comes from the fair labor standard act and, and the, the hazardous occupations that are defined therein, but OSHA doesn't care about students being 18. They care about safety and, and, and your workers cop doesn't really care about students being 18. They care about your mod rate and you put a, an apprentice or an intern with someone who is licensed and credentialed. So I began having that process and that conversation with them and, and they began to kind of see the lights come on. Some of them just flat out say, no, they've got to be 18. And again, the response is that's, that's not true. That is a corporate practice that's happened for a while, but it's not law. It's not legal. Um, but what those companies are doing is they are beginning to, uh, or not beginning to, they are from the onset, they are dismissing a whole segment of our labor market. And that's a bad practice, especially when it's not forced by law. Now, if the law says you can't work with these kids, then fine. But the law doesn't say that. A lot of HR professionals just assume that's the case. And I have those conversations from time to time to time. And they're like, oh, wait, let me look into that. And they get back to me. Oh, my gosh, you were right. Mm-hmm. I can't even in a manufacturing environment. I've got kids working in commercial and electrical construction yeah. who are under 18. Who, so, so that's when typically when it falls flat is that those companies don't have the vision to challenge the norm and say, wait, this is how we've been doing that. Hiring kids 18. Is there a reason we've been doing that? Is there a reason we've been getting rid of or just from the onset counting out a, a massive segment of our labor market if not yeah. then let's investigate why and then that's kind of where our job comes in so that may not have been where you were wanting to go with that but um i can tell you one thing's for certain if all of your competitors are still in the the antiquated and not legally enforced mindset of hiring 18 or older you partnering with my program gives you one heck of a competitive advantage because you're getting access to that talent Part Two years you- before your competitors, sometimes six years, if your competitors are looking to people who are yeah. graduates of post-secondary school and you're high, you're coming to me and you're getting a kid at 16, that's a six year gap between 16 years old and when they graduate college. That is a huge advantage <laughs> for a company. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know that I can quantify that advantage for a company. You're getting access to talent before your competitors. Those kids are going to be onboarded into your culture. Those kids are going to have probably gone through a couple of steps or pay raises. They're going to be extremely loyal to you. And if it does require any post-secondary education, now you take that kid and you send them off to post-secondary training as one of your employees. And when your competitors find out who they are, because they're looking to post-secondary before they even start recruiting these kids, 
they've been with you for six years. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a no brainer. I mean, again, I'm, I'm not in the business world, but yeah. that's, that's a no brainer. Um, do you think that employers know that 5% of all high school students in Utah are on LinkedIn right now? And are you think that they're using I would expect that no. as a competitive advantage? How about Lowndes no. County? Do you, yeah, do you I don't have like, the percentage, but I know that every kid in my program is on LinkedIn. And do you think that employers who, ha who have talent needs across the, the state, do you think that they're aware of that? And have they developed a process to partner with you through LinkedIn yet? Like where they've initiated that? No, nope. I'm ringing that bell and screaming loud. I'm presenting. I just left Alabama this mm -hmm. summer. I presented to all the coordinators in Georgia on the value mm -hmm. of leveraging LinkedIn for uh, recruiting partners, for getting kids jobs, for for communicating the competitive advantage for our talent. We look if a friend of mine, Tony May, you know, we had we had lunch with him out in Utah. Um, he says it's it's a sorry dog that won't wag his own tail. <laughs> If we're not wagging our tail and telling everybody in, in the country, the sec, the talent at the secondary level is enough to give you a competitive advantage. It's enough to, to do what you're needing to do. They're receptive to training. They're often emerge from high school or in high school, skilled and credentialed from their CTE areas. I mean, no, I mean, they're, employers forget about high school kids because the stereotype that they can't be productive. And I've got, five or six companies in, in my town, three of which are international companies who call me every year and say, can we get some more kids? Those, yeah. your, your kids are just super productive, super efficient and, and, and very cost effective. Yeah. But though the answer your question, LinkedIn, they don't know. And it's a, it's a missed opportunity. Yeah. I think to gain that competitive advantage, um, for one is, is they have to understand that 5% of the students are already there. So you can already put tabs in them from a distance. If you just understand yep. how to, how to partner and use the right hashtags. And so yeah. here in Washington County, we have a hashtag that represents our student population. And so when employers click on that then boom, they have every, every one of our students have ever used the hashtag. Mm -hmm. Do you have a similar approach as well that employers could use if they wanted to drop in? Yeah. So, um, you and I have talked about LinkedIn and, and you told me something that, that you used and, and I misunderstood you, <laughs> but in misunderstanding you, I, I, I created in my mind this whole new area. So I create a closed group. Yeah. All of my students are they're, they all join LinkedIn. They all join my company, work best learning lounge, high school, work best learning youth apprenticeship program. But then they all join a closed group. So it'll say 2022, 23 school year. Okay. And they make a post to that closed group. And in that post, they have to type in their skill, at least five skill sets. So healthcare, um, healthcare, triage, uh, wound care, whatever, whatever it is. Okay. And then you as an employer comments, Hey, Jason, I really need someone who's got a background in, in healthcare, who's a healthcare occupation student who wants to work in medical field. And so then I give you access to that closed group for 24 hours. You search that group for healthcare and every kid who posted in their post healthcare pulls up and then that employer can contact those students directly. And it's not just for healthcare, it's for any post, welding, construction, IT, cybersecurity, whatever kids, the skill sets they have, they put in that post and then that becomes searchable by text. What a massive advantage. I mean, you basically, you basically leverage LinkedIn as, as, a perpetual repository for talent.
in, in yeah. your program and across Georgia. I mean, and, and people have to ask for that. They have to, when they reach out to me, I say, yeah, I've got that. I've got it archived ready for you to go. Just go search it. Um, yeah. But a lot of them don't. I think we offer a training if anyone's interested and maybe they can let us know in the comments, but we could put together a yeah. training on, on how to build that well, recruitment I've process through I LinkedIn. I just did it for, I just did it for all of Alabama's uh, CTA yeah. or CTE we've got the, in Alabama. We did the same thing too. We, uh, we built a, we did a, a full kickoff event. We brought employers in. Um, it was a blast. And so, and it's been a useful tool if, if done right. But my, uh, one of my favorite bosses I've ever had, uh, she's the one that really helped me hit my stride. Um, her name is Allison. Um, and Allison, she, uh, she really, she taught me one thing. She says, people like to do business with those that they get along with, right? Um, something along those lines. And I just remember just thinking about that quite a bit. I'm like, okay, okay. Well, that, that has opened up my whole world when Allison taught me that, because I've learned that there are companies that we've been trying to get our, try to get into at times to, to give them a competitive advantage, but they don't want us. And it's because of a stigma, it's high school students, and you've already touched on that. But, um, but then I realized something, who cares, right? Because if, if, if they don't want to do business with us, then we don't want to do business with them. Yep. At the end of the day, at least where we live, yep. there are so many companies who have a need and who have a really good reputation. Yep. And our students, at the end of the day, they're starting to research companies through LinkedIn, Indeed, and in other areas. And they're starting yep. to say to me, hey, Mike. I don't know if I want to go with that company because they got a 2.8 review on how they treat their employees. And yeah. so now they're starting to, to research the companies um, because mm -hmm. the, the students are realizing, Hey, you know, if I'm going to put all this work in, I want someone who's going to treat me well. Right. Treat and even good. worse than that, if you force the issue and you leverage that employee to take your students, you're going to end up investing time and resources into an employee who's going to back out later. And that's all wasted. So yeah. if, if an employee doesn't, I mean, I'll meet with them and they may have some mis, some mis, you know, givings about wanting to partner but after i give them the 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 understanding of what this program is how it works how it functions what we do if they're still not on board at that point then i don't push the issue because if i force the issue at that at that point they're going to end up being a non-productive partner or mm -hmm. worse and this this may sound weird but they're going to end up being a partner they're going to end up being someone who's not a partner they're going to end up probably doing it for the wrong reasons and creating more of a um not a predatory relationship, but more, more a relationship that's more uh, designed around what can they, what they can get out of it. It's going to, it's going to become more of a, I'm doing this just because the labor is more affordable, not yeah. because they see the, uh, the value of, of investing in the future workforce and accessing talent before their competitors. I don't want that, that, that more uh, predatory or, um, exploitative is the word I was looking for that more exploit. I don't want, I don't want someone yeah. who's going to try to exploit my my kid's talent. I want them to partner with my kid's talent. And if yeah. you force the issue with someone who's resistant, it's going to end up becoming more of an exploitative relationship than a partnership. Absolutely. How about the subject on just time and, and time does get in the way for some companies and, and school districts to become competitive yeah. with it within their own labor market. Yeah. A quick example of that. And I want to see how you would, what you would say. Um, but when I first came in, we had one of our, our, our school counselors. Um, he, our counselors here in, in St. George, they, it's like 450 to one. So 450 students to one counselor. So they're pretty busy. And okay. the counselor yeah. was also at the, before I had come in, they were supposed to go out there and do job development for student opportunities. Right. So the yeah. counselor goes to a company, walks in the front door and says, Hey, I'm here to place a student. She wants to go into, you know, engineering. 
And the company just says, absolutely not. There's the door. And the counselor was like, I'm so sorry. And then just walked out and they, and they had to get back to school because they had, they had appointments. Um, and so there is a big, there's so much in that to talk about, but what goes through your head when, when, when you hear that, do you think, well, that's the business's fault. Is it the counselor's fault? Is it the, is it the process? Man, it's what, a little bit. Think? I mean, it's both. It's all, I mean, it's not the counselor's fault because the counselor's job has 450 kids. Their job is, is not to focus on what we're starting out. I will say I, I invest a lot in my counselors. Um, and because I know yeah, that I don't busy. have much of a program without them. They're, they're vital to me. I mean, I, I cater mm -hmm. lunches for them. I, I mean, I, I get them really nice Christmas gifts because I put, I'm, I mean, <laughs> oh, they man. work a lot for don't, my kids. Don't, don't. I don't get Christmas <laughs> gifts. Now you're making me feel bad. <laughs> but, um, but they're mass. I mean, they're massive important to me. So it's not their fault, but it, 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 I'd say it's our fault if we don't educate our counselors on the competitive advantage that our students can offer. And I also say it's not always the industry's fault because they don't know what they don't know. A lot of times their head is down. A lot of times they're, they're dealing with tasks. But I'm saying is there comes a point in time where mm -hmm. employers are, are going to have to, I won't say desperate, but they get to the point where they don't have any other options. Does yeah. that make sense? Mm -hmm. And that's where some of my most productive employees and partnerships came from. And so I created a video for the Georgia Department of Education for all Georgia workplace learning coordinators um, about how you talk to employers about employing students who are under 18. And it wasn't me talking. I actually got my industry partners to do that. So you can hear from me all day long. It doesn't really matter. Um, yeah. But if you hear from someone who's in your field, who, who's the HR person at this big company, who's decided to partner with these kids. Yeah, great. I mean, that, that, that's a lot more impactful. And, and one of the ladies um, with, at the time with, with Ace Electric, she's since left, but uh, she said, look, what are our other options? You know, if we don't do this, like nothing's going to change. And, and another guy, another, a guy said almost the exact same thing from JCI, a local uh, construction company here, uh, said, if we, don't, if we don't entertain employing students who are traditionally younger than we normally look, nothing's going to change. We have to do this because right now, the labor market without that segment is completely dried up. Like, like we're losing four for every one we're getting. So they had to do something different. And that's what's given us proof of concept, Mike. That's given us the proof of concept to say, look, these kids can be productive in your work environment. These kids can do what you need them to do. And these, it's not going to bump up your workers' comp rate. It's not going to kick up the job site because of OSHA regulations. That's not what it is. Kids 16 yeah. or older can do a lot of these things. So I got to defend industry, as we say here in Utah, or at least I do. Industry, industry. as we say it in Georgia. Industry. Yeah. In but, industry. Um, industry they here's the thing they need to fill jobs in real time and so you you, oh, yeah. you have to understand this and yeah. if an if an employer comes to me um in let's say october and says hey mike i need someone right now and we're like yeah. well we already filled all of our spots for this semester so we really can't help you till january yeah well that, at that so that's that when we get our, our next batch so at that point in time the employers really don't have a choice and so they have to go find them somewhere else. And then there goes the chance for school districts to develop that relationship yeah. with the employer. So right. a, a big focus on what we're doing and hear me out on this one, but we're shifting towards utilizing you science um, and their aptitude test. Because oh, 100%. when you, when you pull in the you science aptitude test, if that's something that you can get all of your school, your high schools to, to participate in, you've got the ability 
to, to do quite a few things. Could you, yeah. I mean, you can match up interests, you can match up aptitudes, you can match up overalls and you yeah. can recruit students by their first, second and third choices of full-time year round and then yeah. start doing connections in real time. Is that yeah. something that Lowndes County has looked into? Yeah, uh, well, I mean, I, again, for the first time ever, I'm requiring every student to have a youth science portfolio. Uh, that's my semester one class. So whether a student is coming in my program as a second semester sophomore when they're 16, or a second semester senior when they are 17, 18, the first class they take is going to include U science as their midterm. Because that's one of the most important things I can give them. I have to give them U science um, because it allows me to better meet my, import, my, my employer and my partner needs. Mm -hmm. um, I can, I can, so even if a student is working at a fast food restaurant, but they're really skilled with hand-eye coordination and they're really, they're, they're, you know, maybe an extroverted problem solver. Like I can go to a construction company and say, Hey, look, this kid's got the, the, the skills. We want to talk to him about maybe having the affinity of the interest, but he would be, he, he tests all through the roof in your industry. And I can yeah. begin making partnerships because, and this is something that again, Tony May and I from Alabama had a conversation like in, interest inventories to me, don't want to be controversial. An interest inventory is pointless for a kid as young as 16 years old, because a kid is only interested in what they know. Mm -hmm. Like you can't be interested in, in something if you're not exposed to it, where you science is different. And why I've chosen to implement that is you science is both an interest and an aptitude inventory. So once they get their, at their, their inventory, once they get their results, they can search jobs by their interests, mm -hmm. but then they can search jobs by their aptitude and say, Oh, based on your results, you have the skills to do this. And now the kid says, well, I never thought about doing that. Yeah. And I use that aptitude-based inventory to begin partnering those kids with, with employers. So to me, the answer to your question, yes, youth science is going to be a massive get for my students this year. Um, and I've already talked and had a couple of conversations with some, some people in that organization about maybe making a few tweaks and, and, and getting it to where I can actually bring employers into youth yeah. science and, and have them express what they want, like, I like to hire the kids with these aptitudes and then yeah. automatically pair them. And, and so that's stuff, but I know that's coming, it's coming and I'm super excited about it, but yeah, 100%. Wow. It's, it's going to, it, it is going to give me one more tool and probably the most preeminent tool in my tool bag in you science to, yeah. to leverage kids as a competitive advantage, because now I'm not just looking at their interests because you don't know what you don't know. Right. I'm looking yeah. at their aptitudes and their interests. Yeah. And uh, this is just the, the way my sequential brain thinks it has to go in order to make sense to me. Right. But, yeah. um, you know, going back, I talked about the, the key ingredient that I wanted to sprinkle to help our employers and students become more competitive with each other in the labor market, et cetera, is uh, the one thing I want to do is listen yeah. um, and then and then give them what they need. So I envision utilizing but then the other thing too is i recognize that if we really care about them it's not all about the students but um it's about taking the right students with the right employers and having a great the right situation that's what we're really going for because um, if you place the wrong student with the employer yeah they're not gonna, work. and it doesn't work out that partnership's over that's why yeah. you have to vet because they're not going to see the competitive advantage if you give them a student who doesn't do the work so you've yeah. got to vet on the front end so it becomes our responsibility at that point to put the right yeah. kid with the right employer so that competitive advantage becomes apparent. 
And so, you know, think about when you go into a restaurant, you sit down and the first thing they do is they want to listen to what you want, right? So you come in, they sit down, you want water, drinks, whatever. Then they hand you a menu and you, they give you time to look at the menu and they come back and then you place your order. And then they give you exactly what you ordered. Yeah. And um, because of Kelly and, and what she's been able to show, show us here in Utah with you science, Kelly Openshaw, um, I envision this upcoming year that that's something that we're going to implement. And it's literally going to be like a menu for employers where they're going to come to our program and I'm going to give them a menu and say, which aptitudes would you like to recruit from? What do you need? What's your, I'll give you time. I'll come back later. Yeah. And then the employers have circled the aptitudes that they need for certain positions, not just for the company. And yeah. so, because we have companies that will offer three or four different spots. And so I come back now and I've got a, I've got a menu where they've, they've put down their order and I go give it to the cook and, and that's our recruiting process. And then yeah. we cook it up and, well and I, I envision being able to really recruit uh, in real time, just faster and better than we've ever done it. Once we yeah. bring in the menu services that we can now through this aptitude test. Yeah. That's why I, that's so, why I envision Utah. And in Georgia for the, for my Georgia coordinators, who are going to be watching this. Uh, we have a category called ESD, which is stands for employability skill development. So all of our kids are categorized. Well, the ESD is a category reserved for students whose job doesn't match what they're studying in school. So let's say they're a welding student, but they're working in a fast food restaurant. Nothing wrong with that, but there's no correlation between what they're learning in the welding class, the fabrication class, and what they're doing at work. Okay. Use science and the aptitude skill sets and being able to pair them with those people those employers who want that aptitude allows me to get that student off my ESD roster and into a more productive career aligned uh, placement for, for lack of a better word. And, and so I'm really excited about that. And I've, I've, I've met Kelly and, and that's great. And I've, I've met Lisa in Georgia, who's, who's my regional rep and we've got some cool things going. Um, but yeah, so I mean, it, it's going to, I look forward to reporting back maybe at some conferences next summer on how, that work giving some data about what that looks like but it's 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 very promising as it's a promising tool for us to increase the efficiency the efficacy of that competitive advantage by making sure we put the right kid with the right employer whatever tool yeah. you use is great i know that i know that i'm using i know you're using uh use science for that um but but again i go back to the thing an interest inventory only is pointless for a high school yeah. kid because they're only interested in what they've been exposed to. Then aptitude-based inventory with, in, or aptitude inventory with interest, it, it actually exposes them to things they're not already familiar with. And that's where the power comes in. I can pull yeah. a kid who thought he wanted to be a surgeon and can now go into IT cybersecurity uh, because the attention to detail, the hand-eye coordination, the, the, all that stuff is the same. It's just not gonna be as whatever. I mean, so yeah, it's, it's phenomenal. Yeah. So I think we got to wrap up here, but um, if we could just summarize just kind of what we've learned today and talked about one is just the first thing important to, to have that work-based learning as a competitive advantage for both the yep. schools and the employers is yep. in my book, uh, you got to listen to the employers first. Second, yep. you have to figure out how to create time, you know, because if your school counselors don't have time to get out there or whoever it is that's, that's in charge, then yeah. uh, the, the, the districts need to evaluate um, how they're going to provide more time. Um, from the from the district side, from the employer. And in Georgia, side. that's the coordinator's job. Our job is to get off campus, go yeah. recruit, go do that. Um, yeah. But yeah, you're right. You got it. You got it. So someone told me one time, and, and I'm not saying that it's, it's love based, but they asked me how I spell time, and I, and I was offended. I was like, 
you, you know, I'm a, I'm a PhD candidate. I know how to spell time. And they said, really, how? And I told him, I said, no, you spell time, L-O-V-E, yeah. you know, and it's like you can tell you love something by the amount of time you put into it. And 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 that's kind of how I treat my, my, my business partners and my, my students is, you know, you can look at how I spend my time. The majority of my time is spent off campus investing in my employers on campus, investing in my students. That's what my job is. So yeah. I, I would agree 100 percent. Like you've got to find a way to create that time to to grow those partnerships, to grow those investments. Yeah. And then, of course, you know, uh, highly encouraging employers right now to understand uh, what hashtags are the districts using in, in your area? Yeah. Um, if you're a school district, what hashtags can you combine? So, so then you mm-hmm. can start to really help employers recruit, uh, you know, qualified candidates in real time uh, using LinkedIn or, yeah. or other platforms. Um, yeah. You know, and then of course the the precision or not the the U science uh, the aptitude test, right? Um, yeah. You using that to be a little bit more targeted with our recruiting in real time. Um, yeah. and not just flock shooting saying, oh, you, and that's what interest surveys do. Yeah. Um, it says, oh, you want graphic design? Well, let me go throw you in the graphics, yep. but uh, yeah. an aptitude test combines with interest and it creates a whole yep. different picture. And which- I think it's important for us to say this to the people who are watching you, you and I are employed by our school districts. Mm-hmm. We, we are not, there are no um, affinity links. There are no, like I'm, we're not employed or paid mm-hmm. by LinkedIn. We're not employed or paid by you science. These so again, keep in mind that the purpose for this podcast, if you will, is we, you and I are having these private conversations with people all across our states, all across the country, and they're saying, "Hey, Jason, what sources do you use to make your program productive?" So at that point in time, I can absolutely leverage my experience with LinkedIn and you Science because it's helped my program become productive. I'm not selling any of those things to you. I'm just telling you, I've used those things to make my program productive and they're going to continue to make my program more productive, but I don't want people to think that we're here um, being a shill for, for other, other for-profit companies. I'm not, I'm just sharing with people. This is what's made me productive. This is what's brought people to my doorstep to say, how are you doing what you're doing? I'm doing it through these companies. I'm doing it by pitching competitive advantage. I'm doing it by recruiting people uh, based on that message. So, I mean, I think that's, I mean, that's important for people to understand is you and I are just average guys who've had success in our industry and we're telling the story of how we've done it and we're doing it. Yeah. Open source. Yeah. I tell people all the time. I mean, I'm, I'm five, eight overweight. I work for the state. I mean, yeah. it, it's, I'm not, there's not a lot to me, but, uh, You're only five, like eight. I, I'm only five, <laughs> eight. And I, did I tell you I work for the state? Um, but, you yeah, come with I mean, for me. I'm six, three. I've got a degree. A I don't know. Come up with a rhyme for me. Come up with a rhyme for me. We'll, we'll, we'll get there. You know, we'll, we'll add it. But um, <laughs> what I've learned is that uh, to really make this, this program really work is you have to yeah. then, once you've sold the employers on all of this concept and you've listened to them, is you have yeah. to then go recruit better. And, and I'm not saying that you go for the, the, the most popular. I'm saying you go for the right people. And yep. And that's what we're going to be introducing as part of the 2152 is we're going to be bringing in Brindley. We're going to be bringing in uh, Andrew and, and others. And so yeah. this is going to be fun. So people can see what, what does a high school student really look like? So we can help yeah. break down some of those stigmas that are out there and then help yeah. people kind of start to overcome those barriers that, that, that they face because they just think, well, high school students don't want to work hard. Yeah. And uh, that not, to me is the further premise. from the truth. The premise of why we call it 2152. Hope you saw the hype video. It's why you're watching this one. But if you didn't, 2152, Mike, tell them where that name came from. 
Well, that's when we, we collaborated and I, I reached out to you and said, yo, Jason, um, is there a way that we can, that our program can collaborate with your program where we can showcase to employers in real time um, how amazing our students are and your students are so we can give employers an actual visual of, of uh, you know, what does a yeah. quality, like what does it look like? And then, but what do we call it? And then you're like, what's your address? <laughs> and I was like, uh, 121. Yeah. And you're like, okay, my address. And all of a sudden, what, the, what happened next? Yeah. So I put my address and your address or the address for our offices in Google Maps. Um, again, not paid by Google. Uh, and it just, it said we were 2,152 miles apart. And I think that's what we want to say is if you and I from different regions that mm -hmm. far apart are experiencing the same issues with employers, with industry, with students, with training students, with employability skills, with all these things, we said, man, why can't we begin to tell this story and say, look, we're, we can partner. There's no geographical reason we can't partner together mm -hmm. through technology, share the story of successes our programs have had and put forward, again, that proof of concept that our students can work together from that yeah. far apart. And that the work by starting 2,152 miles apart is still the best solution to solve the labor, the labor market and labor issues, especially in those critical labor shortage areas. Mm -hmm. regardless if you're in South Georgia or South Utah. Yeah. So, well, I appreciate if, if anyone's been able to last this entire time, I think, I mean, this has been interesting to me. Um, I've loved it, but yeah, enjoyed um, it. what's that? Oh yeah. So yeah, I, just, I have enjoyed it. I got nothing left for me to say, but, um, but I, I'm excited for the future and I'm excited to be able to help out. And, and we also look forward to bringing in uh, content experts as well to kind of help out with this moving yes. forward. It's going to be exciting. Yeah, so just real quick in summary, if you're a coordinator professional, find out how to leverage the idea of competitive advantage to your employers. Get them on board to hire your students. If you are an industry professional uh, or an employer uh, or both, probably both, um, really begin to challenge yourself, challenge your normal operating protocols and, and, and find out why are we ignoring this whole segment of the labor market in critical labor shortage areas? Uh, you're just getting rid of them. You're jettisoning them from to the very beginning without even considering, you know, ask yourself, is this just a normal practice? And have we conflated normal practice with law? And if you have, then, then get rid of that idea and go to your, your local coordinator and say, I want a talent pipeline because that's how I gain a competitive advantage. And that's how I begin getting access to talent. So that in summary is my pitch. Mike, I'll let you take it away. Thanks for, thanks for your time today, man. That's all I've got. I appreciate your time too. And, um, and that's it, man. Let's wrap this bad boy up and I can't wait for the next topic. And obviously uh, feel free to reach out to us uh, individually, connect with us on LinkedIn, uh, you know, yeah. ask questions. We're here to help. And like Jason says, we're not getting paid a commission. We just realized that, um, that this, there's a need and we just want to be able to support it any way that we can. So thank yeah. you. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Y'all have a good day. Thanks, Mike. We'll talk soon.